Hello there, and welcome to the podcast of the best-selling travelogue around the world in 80 cigars. It features fascinating people, amazing places, daft adventures, and great cigars from across the globe. You can buy the book from all good bookshops, from your favourite cigar merchant, or if you'd like your own personally signed copy, you can get one direct from me by emailing nick at nick-hammond.com. Enjoy the pod. How would you like to feature in your very own episode of Around the World in 80 Cigars, the podcast? Host and author Nick Hammond, that's me, is now ready, willing and able to interview you personally for your very own unique and bespoke episode of the pod. It'll be available for just you and your friends. The perfect gift for the adventurous cigar-loving special one in your life, or just a treat to yourself. This exclusive podcast edition will be presented by me and delivered to you electronically edited and complete with podcast music. Visit www.nick-hammond.com or drop me a line at nick at nick-hammond.com to find out more. So welcome to Around the World in 80 Cigars, the podcast with me, Nick Hammond. And today I'm absolutely thrilled to be in the court of the king. (laughs) One of the most requested interviews I've had so far is, when are you getting Eddie and Edward on? When are you getting Eddie and Edward on? Everybody has asked me. So at last I've pinned down the royal duo and uh, we've arranged to meet before the shop opens on a very blowy day in London couple of nights after the launch of the Ramon Ionis, Ionis number two, and in typical Edward style, we decided we'd dive straight in and try another one because we had a, a slight disagreement on the strength of the story. Exactly, Edward. Yes. Yeah. So, without yeah. further ado, let me introduce you to Edward and to Eddie Sahakian, who are with me this morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good, Good morning, Nick. Good morning, Nick. Good morning, and what a lovely morning. Uh, for those who cannot see and can only hear, we have the sun shining, yep. but a fairly strong wind outside. We have our coffees next to us, and it's a pleasure and a delight to see you first thing in the morning, uh, Nick. <laughs> it is my wife, we might have had a comment. <laughs> I must say, any morning spent at Davidoff is always a joy, oh. but I particularly like Friday at Davidoff. Seems to me like one of those great things in life when, you know... It's like when you get a day off, unexpected day off school. It's a oh, nice way to finish the week. <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, when you were little and it snowed and then, you know, Dad would come in and go, no, you're not going to go to school today. <laughs> <Yippee>! <laughs> so I've had lots of, as I say, lots of people asking for me to chat to you. <clears throat> so it's lovely to get the chance. So I just wanted to really just talk to you in a very informal way, as we always do, about how the shop's developed, Eddie, how you've slowly been sucked into the business, um, and how you sort of managed to navigate the waters of New World Cigars, which of course you're part of with the Davidoff relationship, and also you're renowned around the world for the, for the quality and the age of some of your stock of, of Cuban cigars. So let's uh, explain to those people who perhaps don't know that much 
Edward, you launched the store in 81? No, 1980. 80. 29th of May, a date I will never forget. 29th of May, 1980. Right. That was the first day we opened the doors of the shop. In the presence of Zeno Davidov himself, he came over from Switzerland. Was that was the first time you'd met him? It, that was the first time we officially met each other. Yes. I had been served by him a couple of times in Geneva, incognito. I was just a young little boy buying some cigars in a, well, little, that was that little, but <laughs> much younger no. than he was. And I know from having obviously discussed it with you in the past, how sort of pipes and things initially caught your interest when you lived in... Well, I fell in love with... In Iran, and and then by hook or by crook and a strange quirk of fate, you end up in London and you can't go back after the revolution. That's true. And you're looking for something interesting to do that's going to keep you busy till you can pop back. Exactly. Um, exactly. And the idea of a cigar shop is born. So, uh, you know, uh, that's a very quick pricey, but I know we could go into it at great depths. Well, for a cigar lover, it's not difficult to decide that if I had to ever do something again, uh, what would I like to do? Why not a cigar shop? Yeah. And it was exactly the same instance for me. Uh, my solicitor then, friend now, he asked me, he said, uh, if you're not able to go back, uh, is there anything you'd like to do? What are your hobbies? What are your interests? I said, well, my hobbies, photography, travel, and, of course, cigars. Well, travel, you know, we weren't going to go into the airline business, forget that. No. <laughs> uh, cameras, photography, uh, I enjoyed having a camera and taking pictures, but that's probably as far as I knew about it. <laughs> and cigars, it, it really tickled my fancy. As I said, I used to go to the Geneva shop, the Davidoff shop. Yeah. <coughs> And that's when I was served a few times by Zeno himself. Uh, he didn't know who I was, and I didn't know who he was. Okay. I mean, it was just. But you just remember him being. I in remember the... him being there. He had a very smoothing, calming uh, face. You know, when you spoke uh, to him and he spoke to you, it was very relaxing. He put me at ease. You know, he, uh, the fact that I didn't know what I wanted, I said I had only a cigar which was strong. Uh, I didn't like it. He said, well, well, you should start off with a milder cigar. I've got just the right one for you. Try it. And it was the first time he lit up the David of number two and he yep. said, try this. Can I, can I add something to Ooh. that? You know, my, my father's demeanor and personality, when, you, when I watch him in the shop, and I've seen this many times, a customer coming in, yep. sometimes agitated because yes. of a product that's faulty or a perceived lack of something in them in that moment in their life. Yep in a very tense, excitable state, sometimes ready for a fight. Yes. I've never seen someone diffuse the situation as well as my father. Mm, interesting. So, you know, what Zeno does, when yeah. he talks about calmness, yeah. my father does exactly the same thing. He does it naturally with customers yeah. uh, and with family, I would say. <laughs> I can imagine. And I've lost count of the number of people who've said something similar. I went into Davidoff, was a bit nervous, a bit daunted. Didn't know what I was after. I met this really nice man. He said to me, come with me, come with me. This, and of course I said, yeah, that's Edward. And it, a million times. So you obviously learnt something from him along yes. the way that brought out something in you as well. And it was the thought of having a shop where I could have my cigars 
on the shelves, ready. accessories ready. I could unlock the door in the morning like I did this morning. Yes. You know, walk in, be there in the evening, lock the door, go home. Not too many worries attached to it anymore. The whole idea was very attractive to me. And I said, well, uh, I guess why not start a cigar shop? Have you ever, since the day it opened, wished you hadn't opened it? No, not a single day. Good. And today, as we're talking, it's over 40 years ago that I opened the shop. If do you I still look forward to coming in? Oh, very much so. Mm. For me, this isn't work anymore. It's never really been work as such. No. It was an uh, extended pleasure for me. But having said here. that, you come in every day, six days a week. You're yeah. always beautifully dressed, turned out. Some people would get fed up with that and go, do you know what, I don't want to get dressed up this morning. I just want to wear my jeans. But you still get great pleasure no, it's, it's in the whole part of the, the coming in here the ritual of that it starts from morning taking morning shower yeah. shaving exactly. uh, getting dressed up uh, it's all part of the, the pleasures of life you know I, I enjoy that very much so but you must be a people person because if you don't want to talk to people and sometimes people can be damned annoying as we all know in retail they ask silly questions or they get the hump as you say Eddie about something but you obviously love well, people. I, I've learned one thing in life, to turn the situation to a position where you will enjoy doing it. It could be a good situation. In the beginning, yes. I used to get, uh, not upset, but I used to get agitated yes. because people would come in with a complaint. And I know he's wrong, and yet... You have to perceive mm. that, well, he's a customer, so he has Take to be Take it on right. the chin, sort of thing. But I suddenly started learning that even the worst situations, you could turn it into a good situation. You could turn a negative into a positive very easily. How? Customer walking in. He's got a cigar in his hand. You could see, and it's happened. It's all squashed, unraveling. And this cigar is no good. What do you do from that point on? Yes, you either say... You say, well, you know, I, I could see why it's yeah. not good. You've torn off the band, you, you damaged it, it yeah. and of course it's not good. But that's the simple answer. And you save maybe a few pounds by not giving him a free cigar instead of the one that's been damaged. But to me, that is the beginning of a whole new relationship. The cigar is not good, sir. Come and sit down. I'm going to get you another cigar to replace it. Don't worry about that. That's not the problem. But I'd like to take you right through the reason why that's happened so it doesn't happen again. Because if it happens again and you go and take it back to another uh, retailer, not in the UK, probably abroad, here they will be all nice to you. Yeah. And you tell them this is not good, they'll laugh at you and they're not going to do anything about it. So let me teach you how to prevent that. Sit down, sir. Would you like a coffee? Next Let's thing you know, he's your friend. And we're <laughs> chatting and talking. But that requires, A, a great deal of patience, B, a great deal of time. But interest. And C, you have to care. It's, well, it's care, love, interest, whatever words you want to use for it. But I enjoy doing that. 
Have you learned from that, Eddie? Uh, 100%. Eddie, Eddie, before he answers, let let me answer it for him. He's (laughs) learned it very well, and sometimes he takes it even beyond, which makes me very proud. Now you could answer it. Here you are. I would disagree with my father on patience. I perhaps don't have the patience he does. But that's a um, learned thing as well, isn't it? Over time, do you find you get more patient? And yes, I, I think so. I think that is correct. Um, what, what I find Dad's really good at doing, because when he says he can make a positive out of any negative, take yourself out of the cigar scenario. Yeah. I've been with my father where we've been stuck in an airport. Literally. No one likes that. No. You've just had your flight delayed by a further five hours. Mood, yeah. You know, you're you're tired, yep. you're thirsty, you're hungry, you just want to get home. Yeah. All these All things. That thing, yeah. My father is uniquely capable of just saying shrugging his shoulders and saying, Well, this is what we have to deal with. Just make the most of it. Life mm-hmm. is precious. These five hours you can enjoy them or you can suffer them. Let's enjoy them. It's a state of mind. Always. And that that is, um, I haven't got to his Zen-like no, mastery of but that. but it's a great lesson, isn't it? It is. So in that instance, I'd imagine he'd say, come on, Eddie, let's go and have oysters and champagne. Or yeah. or let's go and find something interesting to do. Oh, absolutely. Invariably, let's play backgammon. Let's, uh, you know, let's meditate on, you know, whatever it might be. But let's not be negative mm. about it. Let's not sit there with a frown and yeah. thinking about all the things we could have been doing. And get let's, sucked into, yeah. That's it. And, and that's a really important and wonderful approach to life. <laughs> it is. It's a very, very good skill to have. And as I'm like, a bit like you, is that I'm slowly getting there. But when you're tired and grotty and crumpled, and it's not easy. No. Nick, may I, may I add one element of that as well? You're both young in comparison to me. The older you get, the patience will come with it. Did you find that? Yes. Yeah. When you're young, it's a different mentality. And as older you get, uh, you start appreciating moments and seconds of life in yeah. a different way. Yeah. It's uh, when I was young, I used to drive from London all the way down to the south of France in one day, non-stop. Did you? That's interesting. And now, now you make it last as long I as possible. I make it last as long as possible. <laughs> Two days, three days, four days. And every inch of the road, every kilometer of the road I enjoy. Every scenery, every tree, every mountain I see on the way I enjoy. Uh, but that comes, uh, that will come to you naturally I think and free does. of charge, but you have to wait for it. <laughs> well, like it's all like good things I in remember, life. <laughs> I remember when I was like in my 20s and, um, and I was at the newspaper then and one of my editors used to, he wasn't that old, he was 40 or something. And he used to talk about, how, you know, his gardening he'd done at the weekend. I used to think, gardening? Jesus, I can't think of anything worse. What's wrong with you? Of course, now I'm in my 40s. I love pottering about <laughs> in the garden. And you appreciate things a little more, yes. don't you? Another question, Edward. If you, and this doesn't mean that anything has been bad, but would you have changed anything about the shop that you did then, knowing what you know now? Size of humidor, or where you put things, or where you are, or where you chose. Not really, you know. Uh, either I've grown into it, or the shop yeah. has grown onto me. Uh, to me, it's perfect. Even the things that are not perfect, it's perfect for me. They're imperfections at perfect, uh, yeah. And uh, I'm sure Eddie would have a different thought. Uh, he will, he has his own style. He will have his own thoughts. 
and he will continue. Sometimes we already have little disagreements about where to put the umbrellas and how to sure. display items. Now it's his turn, let him uh, do what he likes. Well, that's a good link into another side I wanted to talk to you about. Working together, I mean, obviously you're a very close family, but working together in each other's pocket day in, day out is not easy, for a, or wouldn't be easy for a lot of people, but for you, you, you always have a little bicker, but in a lovely, affectionate way. Have you, how have you found that, Eddie, and sort of coming, because you came from the cutthroat world of international banking and investment? And <laughs> well, yes, you're quite right, Nick. Uh, although the banking was really sandwiched between a period in my early sort of 23, 24, uh, for a few years here working in the shop. Right. And, and that started as a punishment, <laughs> very honestly, because... I'd gone to America to, to study university, hadn't done any studying, and my father had been paying basically a very expensive party bill for, for the two, Where three years go? I was there. And uh, Where were you? Well, I, was, I was in New Hampshire, I was in Dartmouth College, were you? and a little bit of time in Boston as well. So you had a great time. I had a great time, <laughs> and, I, and I lost my weight very much, and, and my father picked up on that. So, so he said, right, in come more in, of that, come you're home. clearly not studying. You're coming home, and you know what? You owe me a lot of money, so you're going to come and work in the shop, and I'm going to pay Did you the lowest that? wage. Of course, so I'm going to pay you the lowest wage in the shop, um, which I was hundred percent with because I was a broken. You needed a guy. Person, character at that point. Yes, like we all do sometimes. Very much. I needed someone just to take me, shake me up a bit, and say, yeah. "Okay, this is how it's going to be." Put you back and on the straight and narrow. Hundred percent. Yeah. And, and not just that, but I was brought back in home. I was living at home again. Right. I was in a very comfortable situation yeah. emotionally again. Yes. And um, thanks to his mom, I have to say, all the credit goes to his mom. Was well, it her say bringing back, getting back she, within the back to the nest the again? One who no, they, really, they were good cop, bad cop. I, I really. Know, as a mum. An Armenian mother in particular right. will always think the son is right and will always forgive him. Yeah. An Armenian father, especially the one I have, with all the love and everything, there is an element of sort of wisdom of the ages. So I think. But I can't imagine you being very strict, or is that a side to your dad that people well, don't no, see? Uh, well, my, 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 my father uh, is entirely good-natured and accommodating until you cross the line. Right. If you push him, if you take advantage, too hard, uh, he, the finger comes oh yeah, out for sure at, right, at okay. home. But also, also in business, you know, he is he is very fair, too fair almost. Yes, he, he is entirely believing in you know equitable outcomes for people and and uh, good for two people. And if someone is trying to abuse that situation, I've seen my father flip really and and not just push back, but push him off the cliff right. in a very good so way. I, I, and obviously you can't survive 40 years in business without being there. But everyone sees this lovely picture of your dad and we all say what lovely man he is. Of course you can't be a pushover, can you? But No, but you know, I, I like to compare, and it's a very big comparison because I'm a Liverpool fan, but, but I like to compare my father a little bit to Jurgen Klopp <laughs> where he's coming... Your teeth are better. Well, he's, <laughs> but he's... he's He's made everyone better. Mm, mm. You know, there hasn't been any losers in Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool. And and I think it's the same with my father. Yes. I think the way he runs the shop, the way the team respond to him here, the way the customers are. You know, at no point has there been someone who's lost and my father's won. It's been quite the opposite. Everyone's won. Yes. And I think to, to have a, an admirable long-term business, there has to be equi equitable outcomes for everyone. And yeah. 
you can't be a rapacious capitalist and survive for very long. No. Uh, or lead a very pleasant life. Or lead a very pleasant but life. But in the same vein, there are times and in your life when people come in and, as you say, would take advantage or try and turn you over or achieve some goal, nefarious aim or whatever. In the end, you have to be prepared to of course. push them away and they may say X, Y and Z, but you have to be content in your own mind that you've done everything you can do, don't you? And yes. I mean, unfortunately in life, we all have to deal with some people like that. But in, on the whole, you strive to treat others as you like to be treated. And I know that's very much yeah. no, that, that is your my motto. creed. Yeah. Uh, uh, what you said was exactly what struck me one night later that I couldn't, I was having a sleepless night at the beginning when I'd opened the shop and th- there was situations where you didn't know what to do No. and it suddenly struck me so what, if I was the customer walking in with a complaint, whatever it is what would I expect to get from the shop owner and if I give my customer exactly that then there's no problem. No. He's happy and I'm happy as well because every customer that walks out of that door satisfied and happy, you could bet on your life he will be coming back. Yes, here again. absolutely. And it's worked very well. Mm-hmm. We still get there. Yesterday, an elderly lady, uh, she used to be a nurse of a gentleman who used to smoke cigars. She used to help him. Uh, she was only the nurse of that gentleman. Uh, they used to walk in through the shop helping him up the stairs, coming here, and buy a few cigars. And this went on for a number of years, and then eventually he invested in a walking stick from us. And he used to come in with his walking stick and the nurse accompanying him. And then uh, this went on a bit more. Then he started coming in in a wheelchair, again pushed by the same lady uh, who was his nurse still. And one time they came in through that door, uh, with a wheelchair and he said, Edward, we just come to say hello to you. We have bad news and good news. I said, oh God, too. what's the bad news? He said, well, the bad news is my doctor said I shouldn't smoke anymore. He, has, he was having heart problems. But the good news is we got married. That's oh, fantastic. Uh, Congratulations. <laughs> That's amazing. And uh, this went on years ago. He passed away. But this lady, the nurse, then came to be the wife. Literally yesterday, she walked no. in again. Oh. She came to Edward, I was passing by. I'm so happy to see that you're still here. How's everything? He said, Edward, you know what? I started smoking cigars. I said, well, how come you, you were the nurse? You <laughs> never After all that time. I said, yeah, occasionally I will have a smoke. And it reminds uh, me of my husband yeah, and yeah, this yeah. whole situation. So, you know, you can't go wrong. If you sort of give people what they expect to get and it might not always be a rightful expectation but even if it's a wrong expectation if you can afford to give it to them why not yeah make somebody and happy. it's it, but and as you just explained it's more than a sale isn't it it's a it's a whole life you've it's created a relationship. for yourself and for those around you and the people that are involved in the shop as well as the customer it is but going back to what you said Eddie so you came in, lowest paid guy in the shop, you're going to learn the trade and get Well, yourself. very much. Uh, uh, I, uh, I did, and at the time it was very exciting because we were about to kick off the, the first great, call it Cigar Boom, Ooh. which initiated by Cigar Aficionado and a big American market expanding. Yeah. 
So uh, really exciting in the shop. And of course, I, I finally began to really enjoy cigars. I'd always been aware of them and you know, had tried them with my father, but had never looked at it as, a, uh, as an artisanal interest. Do you remember, how old would you have been? You'd have been, um, say, you're roughly the same age as me, aren't you? So when the shop opened, you'd have been what? Shop Seven, opened, I was eight. Eight. Yes. Uh, Do you remember thinking much about it at the time? And well, uh, not. I mean, I, I thought it was really cool because yeah. I loved fire. I was a pirate. <laughs> still am a pirate. Really? There was matches. There were lighters. Oh, yeah, yeah. There were pipes. I bought a pipe. You know, a cheap pipe. But I was really excited because I bought the pipe. They used to. They used to sell these box sets of matches, which had, for example, commemorative World War II aircraft on it, uh, or the Queen's different soldiers from the Queen's regiments. Right. And I don't know why, but I love matches, so I kept buying these matches, and I've still got them. Have I've you? got a match collection. Who what kept it for him all these years? Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> well, Is it like thousands and thousands? No, not, not that, that many. Bad, no. Probably a few hundred. Right. Uh, so there's a lot of things I loved in here. Yeah. And you know, toys, gadgets, you know, all the all the. So that magic was there from the start, in a for in sure. a strange sort of way, romantic way for you. Yes, very much. Uh, and I, you know, uh, you have personalities in, in the cigar trade. Very much. I mean, in, in, in that time, you know, I, the, the, the people who worked in the shop, I still remember, you know, some of our very early employees, mm. uh, you know, strong, interesting, real, you know, some of them scary, some of them, you know, very cuddly, and everything in between. And so as a child, you're, you know, you're privileged because your father's the owner, but, but you're also a little mouse on the floor. Yes, being able to observe all this without really having or being noticed, and uh, and that was fascinating for me. I've always loved um, observation and the human character, I suppose. Yeah, and, and uh, cigars. When do you, what were your memories of cigars? So cigars, my my first. I mean, of course, dad all the time. Yeah. But um, my personal introduction was at the age of sixteen, here in this chair. Um, this it's a story I've possibly mentioned to you, but my, yes. my mother thought I, I was smoking cigarettes because she found oh, a Zippo lighter right, yeah. in my in my coat pocket, which was not true, by the way. It was cool to have a Zippo yeah, at the was. time. Yeah. Uh, so my father called me in on a Saturday. I didn't know why. Sat me down, pulled out a Davidoff number two. Uh, at the time, it was a Cuban. Uh, and around this time of the around, morning, yeah, it was this <laughs> time of the day, exactly, about 10, 10, 30 in the morning. Sit down. Cut it, lit it, handed it to me. I'm looking at him. Dad, what are you doing? As well, essentially, in a nutshell, if you're going to smoke, smoke the best. So here you go. So I thought, okay. And we sat there and I smoked the cigar. And, and I have to say, uh, enjoyable as it was, it was not something that I gravitated towards at 16. My no. palate wasn't ready for it. I just knew that I'd smoked something delicious and different. And I really wasn't a cigarette smoker. So it didn't it make you feel ill? or No, uh, I was absolutely fine. Okay. Uh, I probably didn't finish it, I think, in, in fairness. We should have kept that cigar as your first cigar, I think. Well, with hindsight. Yeah, hindsight is a great thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but then back in my uh, 20s, of course, when I was here in the shop properly. That's when I really started getting into, right. into cigars for the first time. And then I went into the city in 99 for, for almost 10 years. Yeah. And then the great credit crunch of 2008, if you can call it that. Yeah. Um, you know, the job was vaporized. Uh, came out. My son was born. I had almost, almost a year of... Uh, being at home with Thank him you. because we were paid off when we, when of we quit banking so I was comfortable and in those days the banks were much more generous yeah <laughs> that's a nice way to put it 
And then of course dad turned around to me one day and said, well, Eddie, what are you doing? Uh, are you going to do anything? And I said, well, I can't, <laughs> yes, I mean, I've, not, I've made enough money to retire, and, <laughs> but you know, I can't go back to banking. My job doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. I said, well, you know, I need some help in the shop. You want to come and have a look? Well, I was like, well, Dad, you know, I don't think I'm going to come back to the yeah. shop, but I might as well. Yeah, why not? I'm not doing anything. So I'll come in. And that was that. Really? Came in and, and was all different. You know, right from the get-go, you felt like you were part of the... Oh, very much. And, and because it was a different stage in my life, mm. I'd come away. I'd come after 10 years of working uh, in, in a very stressful, yeah. um, you know, rewards-driven, but, but also full of very, very, um, not everyone, but the majority of successful personalities in the city were alpha, quite ruthless, ruthless, right. basically playground bullies, really, with very low emotional intelligence yeah. and very high opinions of themselves. Mm. And I was the opposite, you know, I was like a fish out of water there because, you know, I'm, well, that's I'm what I always thought. I can't imagine you being, did you sort of fall into it by accident? Because you're not, well, you're certainly not now. Maybe I, what I don't know is whether you were then a bit more. You know, no, I, I, alpha I, male. Or? Well, I, I very simply went into into banking at the time, and this is in '99 because uh, I watched my friends who had gone into different careers, my my peer group, and the ones who were doing better and could afford to buy an apartment had gone into banking. Okay. So I said, well, where can I make the most money the quickest? I mean, that was literally the equation. Yeah, yeah. And and I did a business studies degree, and and then I said, well, let me try and get into the city, and thanks to. Uh, <laughs> Thanks to a very long, long-standing connection, my, my old French teacher from my primary school, who we'd still kept in touch with, my mum was great friends with, really? her husband, Howard, bless him, he's still a very dear friend of mine, he was a lawyer in a team that had just moved from UBS to CIBC in a group called Securitization, which I had no idea what it meant. And my mother asked her, would Howard mind speaking to Eddie about what he could do in the city if he wants to have a career in the city? So I met Howard. Right. He was absolutely lovely, gave me all this information about what securitization is. I had a little idea, but I had technically the, the building blocks to understand okay. it. And I thought it was fascinating because it's, it's essentially a bit of law, a bit of finance, uh, and a lot of you know, deal structuring. So uh, did, I didn't know this, but you know, when he met me, they were looking for a, a junior, you know, non-experienced analyst to come into the group. So I guess he liked me enough to say, come and have an interview. And I, at that stage, I was, you know, literally was so focused on just moving forward. Yeah. I said, the first thing that comes along, I'm going to take it. And the first thing that came along was this. And that's how I got into the city. Right. And uh, I wasn't your stereotypical trader. You know, I wasn't sort of, you know, in there, you know, buy, sell, buy, sell, buy, yeah. sell. It wasn't that at all. It was a slightly more academic, but still. Okay. Deal driven and business. when you worked, where would that have been geographically? That was in uh, well, initially it was London Bridge, right? So the, the you know CIBC was was located on the south side of London Bridge, on Tooley Street, still is. So I had this view of HMS Belfast, and um, and then a few years later I moved to RBS, and and then RBS was where it all ended, so to speak. Yes. At the worst possible time to be at RBS, yeah. but also the worst possible time to be in finance. Sure. Um, what did you think of that, Edward? That of him going into that line of work. Did you have any opinion on that? On the banking? Well, that was the thing to do in those days. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it was a secure job. Yeah. Once you were in banking, you would have, in those days, stayed in it 
very good living and all the rest of it yeah and uh, knowing Eddie and his talents you know I knew he would go forward which he did and he said he moved to RBS but he was headhunted to go to RBS and uh, in in the CIBC he used to be involved if I'm not mistaken in preparing these packages for the next team to sell these ready-made packages it sounds like Amazon but yeah I think that's almost right, except the packages were, were deals. Uh, you know, there were bonds issued, backed by CDOs, you know, CLOs, these sorts of things. So they were backed by loans or mortgages or right. car loans. Basically put them together into one big lump and then slice up the risk exposure. And different and people would pay different things. He got headhunted by RPS to go there to continue doing that, preparing these packages, but and then to sell them as well. Because he's a good salesman. Yeah. He's, he's very good. And uh, I remember there were times that he, he would fly in from uh, Germany into London, pick up his suitcase, change it, and fly to New York. Three days later, he's back from New York on the weekend. Sorry that uh, tomorrow I'm flying to Tel Aviv. I have to go there. I said, really, have a rest. No, no, I can't. I have to go. You know, he was all over the place. Yeah. We still have the trophies whenever they did it, the deal. Oh, really? Um, the tombstones. Yeah. <laughs> all these deals get commemorated with the tombstone. Is that right? So uh, all the people One of them involved. was a humidor, funny enough. Uh, yes, that's uh, right. One of them was a humidor with the plaque in it saying that a 200 million, million whatever. That's correct, yeah. So the shop is beginning to open and... Um, and so there will be a little of a little of background noise, which is actually quite nice, I think, to hear people coming and going. Um, so let's talk a little bit about you came together. There was immediately something that worked for both of you. Would you would it be fair to say, Edward, that when Eddie came in, that you sort of felt like a new lease of life to carry on with, because you were thinking about retiring at that time before he came in? Yes. But, uh, let me go one step back because you asked us about working together yeah I get asked that question many times and uh, yeah I had the pleasure of working for my father and later in life with my father right it's a very special relationship you have to be very careful it's very delicate it's even worse than marriage mm. marriage if it doesn't work out you divorce father and son you cannot divorce. True. You have to live with it. You have to live with the consequences of it. Yes. So if you have a good relationship, you will have a happy life. And if you don't have a good relationship, it could be a very it, bitter Then you've life. got not only a work life that's not very good, you've mm -hmm. got a home life that can be strained. Isn't Absolutely. It? Yeah. And, and you feel you feel sorry for yourself. You, you go through the whole emotions. If it doesn't work out, yeah. I know several cases, fathers and sons not talking to each other. And I know many uh, people, fathers and sons, not only working together, but enjoying it. And fathers have retired, the next generations are continuing, and there's a wonderful relationship. But you have to be careful. I'm very fortunate now in this stage of my life, I'm 76 now, I've been on both sides of that relationship. Yeah. I was on the side where I was working for my father and with my father, and now I'm at the stage where Eddie was working for me, and now you know, Eddie worked for me, then we worked together, and now I work for him. <laughs> <laughs> Don't 
believe it. I don't believe a word of it. <laughs> uh, and but you found it's a delicate situation that it worked from the start. If you're careful on that, you have to know when to keep silent. You have to know when to <coughs> express your feelings. Yeah. And the way you express it and the way you stay silent as well makes all the differences. And and I often think. And it goes along with what you were saying earlier about the older you get. The older you, I get, the more I realise it's about picking your battles in a lot of life, isn't it? Yes. With your kids, oh, with, yes. with your wife, with everybody. <laughs> Some things are just not worth worrying about. And if you, most of the time, you just go, do you know what? Is it important? No, fine. Although occasionally something is well, at the time, a line it seems in the sand, to you it's important. Yes. There are situations where at the moment you think this is the most important thing in yeah, my absolutely. life. Why should I say yes or why should I say no? No. And, and then a few months, a few years down you the road, you think, look back, you laugh at Yes, exactly. You know, was exactly. I worried for that? I mean, yeah. Was it worth it? No. No, absolutely right. It's wasted energy, isn't it? You know, I, I am a big believer that your state of mind, you can think your way to, to many outcomes. Yeah. Um, and for good and for bad, I, I am able to make myself psychologically comfortable in the most uncomfortable situations really? but also is there a knack to that um is there a, something where you consciously go okay this could go one of two ways i choose to make it go this way in my mind well it comes it, for me it comes as a as a big i'm a big believer in you know intellectualizing yeah. and you know i loved philosophy always so so it starts with a belief that the mind can overcome everything yeah and it can Yep. And the correct way to overcome it is to, to, to visualize it, to sort of you know, be pin sharp about it, think it through, and, and then you're there. But what about in the moment when a potentially uncomfortable or confrontational situation mm -hmm. is there and you don't have the time to? Yes. How do you take that step back? Because the initial reaction is like the barking dog yes. and people start going at each other. And, and I find I'm very good, with, like you say, if I can take a step back and I know where I want to go and I think it's not worth having an argument about. However, if you put me in a situation where I feel like uncomfortable, that's when the sort of snappiness yes. can come out. That's a very good question, Nick. I don't have the answer for right. that. Uh, what I would say is probably ask my poor wife, Jacqueline, <laughs> because really? the only snappiness that happens we, we, we both we feed each other snap yeah it's funny that isn't it yeah and yeah. she'll she'll say something and i will respond to the tone of yeah, her reply yeah, yeah, yeah. not to what she said absolutely and then she'll get upset by my tone yeah. again not by what i've said and we'll end up having an argument about tone yeah even though we're both saying what we each want to hear and what i find un strange about that relationship is you have a an argument or a disagreement or sometimes you speak to that person whereas if it was anyone else you never would would you so for example like you say a tone if someone else said it you just it would water off a duck's back you'd go you would choose to believe that, that look, that's just me thinking when it's your wife don't um, you speak to me uh, <laughs> it's true isn't it i guess the clothes closest to you are the ones that get you sort of inner self coming yes. out but, uh, but it's a wonderful again coming back to making a positive it's a wonderful opportunity for diplomacy yeah and you know we've never ever had a serious argument I mean you know it's normal to bicker amongst husband yeah. and wife and and we've always forgiven each other when necessary and we've always 
had taken pleasure in the happy part. You know, when you're okay, you've had your... Yeah. And then you apologize. The, the key takeaway is to say sorry. Yes. In anything in life. I mean, to, to be able to stop and just say, look, I'm really sorry. Yeah. I think I was wrong. I, no, I'm actually, I don't know whether it's an upbringing thing, but I would openly admit I'm really bad at it. I found it really hard to say sorry, which is bad, as you say, but it's not something I'm good at, so I have to really work at it. You have to practice on that. And it me. makes me very uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, well, it's true. a psychological yeah. thing. Um, but you're right, it's important, isn't it? Well, perhaps when it's used less often, it's more impressive. So you're keeping it in your toolbox for those really important arguments. Maybe that's right. I don't know. I just think the way I was brought up, and not saying nothing against my parents, but it was three boys and my dad and my mum, and so it was a very competitive environment in a nice way. So, you know, to have the last word or to be right in an argument was quite a big thing. So I think I found it very, find it very difficult to accept that maybe... I was wrong. <laughs> That's all part of growing up, isn't it? And I'm still getting there. Okay, well, let's talk about the last few years and, uh, and the shop goes from strength to strength and now, you know, the legendary Edward Sahakian becomes the legendary Eddie and Edward Sahakian um, and you meet lovely people in this world, as we all know. You get to do amazing things. And where we are at the moment is all very strange. London's very quiet. How do you see the future, both for you um, and, the, and the industry as a whole? Uh, well, from my from my perspective, uh, I I would like a future in this industry, in this business, and in this particular shop. So uh, I see it as a as a positive. Um, one thing that I've always been amazed by, and and. When I look financially at what we've done as a shop, what my father has done as a mm. shop for 40 years, there is absolutely no correlation, almost nothing between the money we make selling cigars, or indeed how many cigars we sell, and what's going on in the economy. So, Really? What you mean, the two are not necessarily linked? No, you know, people would think there might be a positive correlation. So in other words, the economy shrinks, you know, people stop buying cigars, and there's almost no times where we've seen that. Right. If anything, we've been a slightly forward indicator of difficult times, but that's always a very short period of time where people hesitate. Yeah. Maybe they stop traveling, maybe they just tighten their you know, purses for a couple of months, yeah. whatever it might be. And these are profound moments in economic history. So this COVID situation for us um, has been a big worry. We've had to be closed for a period of time. We've, yep. we've had to refocus online, and, and we're, we're absolute novices online. At, but we're learning, and we're growing, and we're developing. Uh, and that's a wonderful opportunity. I think if London is able to bring back the affluent tourists that were previously visiting, and this would be in particular the Chinese, the Americans, you know, Middle Easterns, Russians. That's where we're struggling, isn't it? It's, the, it's those people that come and travel and spend good money on things. Yes. That, those are the people that aren't here. Yes. yes. Is, and does that change in the short term? Who knows? Well, at the moment it's changed. You know, they're not here. No. When they will feel comfortable enough to come back and, and spend, and again, we don't know. And to come. 
That's the other thing. So many exactly. countries, they're not even allowed to travel to the UK. No. You, I know you have a lot of American customers. You're not seeing them. No, certainly not in London. I, uh, there, there's, you know, whilst there's growth uh, on online and so on, uh, until they visit again, London, and not just us, but any any of Prime London's retail, is is in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and this, unfortunately, then filters down and through to the to the landlords who have their own businesses to run, uh, to the employees and the service sectors that support the tourists that visit London. You know, everyone is worried, and and and, and I personally think in a, in a few months or in a few years, hopefully not a few years, we will have a scientific answer to COVID. Yes. Uh, and we will understand the disease correctly and fully and be prepared to live with it, even if we don't eradicate it, um, and still get on with life as and we And we will have learned a lot of very valuable lessons as well, if this or anything similar happens again. For sure. Because, all right, you could blame, lay blame for various things at various people, some of which I'm sure is correct, but everybody's doing this for the first time and nobody had a clue what was going to happen or how it was going to pan out, did they? No, so, no we, we've made it up. Yeah. Absolutely. Made it up as we went along. So, as you as you say, there will be a time when we have a better understanding of it and can control it better. And then at least we will have been through that. For sure. I mean, th- th- this this is the the principal short term risk that we're all facing at the moment. Yeah. Uh, but does it diminish my belief that everyone wants to smoke a wonderful cigar? No. Say no. Uh, if anything, you know, people sitting at home uh, on furlough. If they are cigar lovers, yep. they've been enjoying more cigars. And, then, and everybody has reported that that, that sales actually, are, if anything, are up mm. in terms of sales of cigars. One of the very few things you could still <coughs> do yep. and enjoy yes. you know, whilst you're sitting at home. You can't go out whilst you're not allowed to, but you could still be at home, light up your cigar inside, outside, whatever, and enjoy. It's one of the very few pleasures in life still left where we could enjoy without uh, catching the virus uh, without getting into any trouble yeah. without any consequences exactly without so breaking any lo- laws, laws. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean briefly before we before I let you get on with your day um, part of uh, the world that we love is, is traveling and seeing places and meeting people do you would you do you feel comfortable that you can do that at the moment uh, would you no. have you got on a plane? No, no, nor have I. No, I have no plans as well. My, uh, I've probably told this story many times. There's one travel I look forward all year around, more so in the winter months. Is come spring, June, uh, ideally June the twenty or twenty first, <laughs> which is the first day of summer, Very the longest day, yeah. and I've done that on many, many occasions, is 20th of June, I would get into my car, head towards Folkestone, into the train, out into Calais, in my car. I know, you promised to take me on a little road trip and one day. Once I get onto the <laughs> A26, about 50, 60, 70 kilometers down the road, there's a petrol station in France and they're quite well equipped and that's always my first stop it will be 9.30, 10 o'clock or 10.30 in the morning yeah. 
I will stop there, have my cup of coffee and light up my first cigar. <laughs> Open the window slightly, put the ventilation on and start driving and smoking my cigar. That one trip and that first cigar, I look forward to it the whole year really? round. And this year I was not able to do that. Mm. I'm still dreaming about it, but from the looks of it, it's not going to happen. No. We can't go to France now. I mean, we can, but and then you can't come back. And if I go into France, I have to sit in a hotel, an apartment or wherever, not come out, which doesn't make any Pointless. sense. Yeah. <coughs> uh, same for most of the other countries. Yes. Yeah, I think we just have to so uh, no navigate our way through it, don't no, we? And no travel plans that things will get better, as you say, and as we get closer mm. to A, treatment, B, vaccine, um, in this strange world we find ourselves. Yes. No, and, and make the most of what we've had, because uh, some of lockdown, put aside the business worries and the yeah. financial anxieties, but some of lockdown has been actually wonderful. Yeah. You know, I spent time with, with my children and my wife um, without a lot to do. No. So it, it, you know, it gives you ample space to get bored and to do silly things and, um, and you know, watch movies that yeah. you always, you know, for years I've been telling my children we're going to watch this nice movie. On well, a we Wednesday it. afternoon. That's yeah. it. Uh, yeah. So, so and they will remember been. that. I, I think so. Well, they'll remember not having going to school. Yeah. They're very excited about not going to school. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we all understand that very well, don't we? Yeah, I wish it happened when I was a kid. I, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we, we're getting on. I'm going to let you get on. Before I do, just before I go, I want to say a couple of things. One thing is, when we finish, I still need to pester Well, I don't need to pester you. I need to pester you, Edward, to convince you that we need to write your book. Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, and lots of people keep asking me about that. Um, and I also want to express my thanks to both of you for your welcome and for your kindness over the years. I, ho- I hold you and your families in the utmost respect, and I want to thank you for, for everything you've done for me and for helping me and always being a smiling and friendly face. So much love from the Hammonds to you. Oh, Nick, thank Nick, you, Nick. You know that's a, more than reciprocal. Um, we we are really honoured to have you as a friend uh, and as a smoking partner. <laughs> uh, and I love your books. Thank you. Uh, they've been a real enjoyment for me. Uh, your family, we've met a few times. Yep. And hats off you. You've got a wonderful wife and beautiful children. Uh, and you know, most importantly, I, I think we share a kindred spirit. Uh, yeah. You're a bon viveur in the best possible sense. <laughs> And I hope we are too. Definitely. And for many, many more years of friendship. Yes, and that's the important well, thing. I always said in this cigar that we're smoking even now, it's not only a cigar, it's an instrument of pleasure yeah. and friendship. Yeah. It brings like-minded people together. It, it has started so many lovely friendships for me in my life and for Eddie as well. And when you mentioned what you just said, it, that's exactly what a cigar does. We know each other purely because we both enjoyed cigars. Absolutely. And our friendship has grown stronger and stronger. And like many other good things in life, the older it gets, the better it will become. <laughs> I agree. It's like, a, and you're right what you say, it made me think, a cigar is like a bridge, isn't it? Because across cultures and yeah. religions and creeds and colors and all of that, that slips away and it's just about friendships. Which, And then you're right my life has been enriched in so many ways 
purely because I have this strange passion for cigars, which we all we understand each other, don't we? Absolutely right. Nick, it's been a pleasure sitting here and talking to you. And as I say, it's been a pleasure sharing an ashtray with you. Always, always. We're and of course, here. <laughs> we've only just scratched the surface, so can I finally get you to promise that we can do another one sometime in the future and talk further? We will be delighted. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and thank you to all your listeners. Uh, we will try and bore them even 50 more next time. Fifty different countries, Eddie. Fifty different countries, seven thousand downloads as we speak. One of them. God That's another will, good thing. For That's very God willing, yes. one day we will do one in Armenia. Oh, you I'd love, will love it there. You would enjoy it so much. The people, the food, really? the atmosphere. It's, it's wonderful. It's a perfect one of the perfect places to enjoy a good cigar. Right. We That's, hold you to that. That's a yeah. date. Right. Yeah. <laughs> June twentieth. <20th. laughs> <laughs> June 20th. We'll drive down there even better. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. All best. Thank you. Thank you.